Good afternoon. My name is Chris, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Avalara fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. And to withdraw your question, please press star one again. Thank you. Jennifer Gianola, Vice President of Investor Relations, you may begin. Good afternoon, and welcome to Avalara's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 earnings call. We will be discussing the results announced in our press release issued after market close today. With me are Avalara's CEO, Scott McFarland, and CFO, Ross Tenenbaum. Today's call will contain forward-looking statements which are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Forward-looking statements include statements concerning financial and business trends, the impact of COVID-19 on our business and global economic conditions, expectations regarding the integration of acquisitions into our business and growth opportunities and synergies arising from such acquisitions, our expected future business and financial performance, and financial conditions and our guidance for the first quarter and fiscal year 2022 and can be identified by words such as expect, anticipate, intend, plan, believe, seek, or will. These statements reflect our views as of today only, should not be relied upon as representing our views at any subsequent date, and we do not undertake any duty to update these statements. Forward-looking statements by their nature address matters that are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. For discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to the risks discussed in today's press release, our annual report on Form 10-K filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission on February 25, 2021, and our other periodic filings with the SEC. During the call, we will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which are not prepared in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. A reconciliation of the GAAP and non-GAAP results is included on our earnings press release, which has been filed with the SEC and is also available on our website at investor.avalara.com. With that, let me turn the call over to Scott. Thanks, Jennifer, and welcome to everyone joining our Q4 2021 earnings call. I would like to congratulate the entire Avalara team for an outstanding performance in the fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021. 2021 was another terrific year for Avalara. We accelerated our top-line growth, reporting total annual revenue of $699 million, an increase of 40% year-over-year, with our first-ever annual positive non-GAAP operating income of $6 million. Even excluding acquisitions in 2021, organic revenue growth increased 29% year over year, consistent with the prior year's organic growth. We also reported free cash flow of $13 million, our third straight year of positive operating and free cash flow. Reflecting on the last three years since IPO, I'm proud of our team for delivering a 37% three-year revenue kegger and consistent operating results that exceeded expectations in good and challenging times. In 2021, we added several exciting milestones. 
we achieved our first ever annual non-GAAP operating profit. We crossed over 100,000 in total end customers. We were recognized as a leader in all three IDC Marketscape reports on global cloud tax automation. We delivered more new products and capabilities than ever before in our history. We expanded our relationship with Shopify to power cross-border duty and import tax features of its global commerce hub, Shopify Market. We achieved the largest attendance ever at our virtual crush, and we issued nearly $1 billion of convertible notes, providing ample financial flexibility for the large opportunity in front of us. As we approach $1 billion in annual revenue run rate, we are excited about our opportunity to leverage our growing scale, competitive moats, and ubiquity in the market to establish Avalara as the standard cloud platform for compliance. Our thesis and vision have not changed. We remain a leader and category definer in a massive global market driven by statutory requirements and with enviable tailwinds tied to the adoption of cloud, e-commerce, ROI, and regulatory. We believe that over the long term, every business will adopt tax automation. We are early in this journey, and we believe we are best positioned to capture the leading share. As we look forward to 2022, it feels as though we have more opportunities to capture than in prior years. Here are some of the opportunities that I get excited about. After 18 months of aggressively building and buying content and products, we have a significant opportunity to cross-sell more products to our large customer base. It feels like we are entering our second wave of partnership opportunities where many large players from across the ecosystem are more focused on what we do. This opens exciting opportunities with new partners and potentially large expansions with existing partners. In addition to our core SMB market, we continue to expand our reach up market to large enterprises and down market to smaller businesses. And building on our 2021 success in international, we have opportunities to expand our presence and our product portfolio in existing and new markets. We believe compliance automation is inevitable. We are right where we want to be in our journey, and now we must continue to execute our strategy and drive towards our vision of becoming a global, category-defining cloud compliance platform. I love talking about our customer wins. I believe they exemplify our leadership position, which has been built on years of investing in our differentiated strategy. They speak volumes to the value of our competitive moats, including how our content, broad product portfolio, and more than 1,200 signed partner integrations help us win competitive deals across nearly every size segment, industry, and geography. Over the years, it's been exciting to see the evolution of our customer wins, including larger deal values, more deals with multiple products and integrations, and more global customers. Here are just a few examples. During the fourth quarter, we won enterprise deals with a diverse group of companies. First, we won an enterprise deal with a florist company for a deal value of $300,000, including annual recurring revenue, one-time software, and services due to our integrations with disparate systems, including ERP, point of sale, and commerce platforms. Next, we want to deal with a boating supply company for a deal value of $180,000. 
After discovering serious license exposure, the company selected us to package an end-to-end license management and compliance offering built on the assets we acquired from our 2020 business licenses acquisition. We won a tree wholesaler in a multi-product deal for $238,000, including Avitac, certificates, returns, and our SST program. We won this deal due to our integrations with a leading ERP application and our relationship with a global software and consulting partner. Finally, we won a deal with a financial services company for $99,000. The company is operating in 11 states, and a recent audit led to a negative judgment. We won this deal due to our pre-built integration with a leading ERP application, coupled with a strong recommendation from one of our business transformation partners. Additionally, we compiled several competitive wins and takeaways. We won a competitive enterprise deal with one of the leading distributors of air conditioning and heating supplies for a deal value of $215,000, including Avitac, consumer use tax, and exemption certificates. We won against the competition due to our embedded integration with a leading business software application. Next, we won a deal with a vehicle services company for a deal value of $170,000, including Avitax, consumer use tax, TTR research, and cert capture. We won this competitive deal due to our unified product offering, TTR research, and our integration with a leading accounting and finance software application. We won a competitive takeaway deal with a global industrial company for a deal value of $100,000, including Avitax, CERT Capture, and TTR Research. We won due to our partner integration with a leading ERP application for global manufacturers and superior technology and feature sets. Finally, we won a competitive takeaway exemption certificate management deal with a multinational conglomerate for a deal value of $231,000. The company wanted a better solution and was impressed with our ECMS platform. We have great examples of customers experiencing rapid growth that triggered the need to move away from status quo, manual processes to tax automation. First, we want to deal with a restaurant chain for a deal value of $147,000 for our licensing managed services. Thanks again to our business licenses team. The company was tracking licenses manually and the rapid growth exceeded their ability to keep up with demand, triggering the need for a cloud-based solution that replaced Excel spreadsheets. We also want a diversified power solutions provider for a deal value of $53,000, including Avitax and CERT Capture. We won this deal due to our integration with the leading ERP application and our CERT capture offering. The company has been using manual processes for exemption certificates and its rapid growth triggered the need to automate compliance. On the international side, we want to deal with a fast-growing tech company based in Spain for a deal value of $350,000, including Avitax, VAT Reporting, and India GST, beating out the competition. This win is a great example of why our portfolio of products matters in the world of global commerce. We won a multinational Indian conglomerate for a deal value of $40,000, including Avitax cross-border and returns, opening the door for more opportunities in the future. We won this deal due to our integrations with a multinational ERP application, 
and a leading enterprise commerce platform. Finally, we won a UK-based fashion retailer for a deal value of $309,000, including Avitax cross-border and returns with future opportunities, including TTR research and business licenses due to our integrations with an e-commerce platform and a leading cloud ERP system. As demonstrated through our customer wins, Avalara's partner mode continues to be a key differentiator, especially as businesses shift to omni-channel and seek a single tax compliance platform that can integrate into multiple disparate systems. That's why we continue to enhance our partner mode by actively forging new relationships that enable us to offer integrations with more business applications and exposure to potential customers. We offer far more pre-built integrations with these applications than any other tax software providers, and we plan to continue adding more. Our total number of partner integrations, including all of those that have been signed but are not yet live, has increased to 1,200. With that, today we are excited to announce several new partner deals. These new relationships are great examples of what I call the second wave of partnership deals for Avalara building on the first wave of ERP deals during the early days of the company. First, we signed a multi-year partnership with an industry-leading online payroll and HR solutions company, expanding our reach to over 50,000 small and mid-sized accounting practitioners. This deal positions Avalara for Accountants, our recently launched suite of tax compliance tools, as the sales tax technology solution of choice for accounting practices. We signed a multi-year deal with one of the largest point-of-sale providers in the market, servicing many verticals, including restaurants, banking, retail, and hospitality, supporting thousands of locations. Next, we signed a tax services partnership deal with an international cloud-based accounting provider to build and offer a joint sales tax solution to small businesses in the United States. Today, this partner has over 200,000 customers in the United States and growing. We are excited to announce that the Davo team we acquired last year signed a partnership deal with a leading restaurant and accounting bookkeeping company for small businesses with 1,900 locations. After evaluating our solution, this partner saw the return on investment immediately and chose Avalara to be the tax automation engine powering their sales tax function. Finally, we signed a deal with a large American multinational shipping company covering 5,000 stores. We were selected to help the company achieve their goals of increasing accuracy of sales tax automation at their point-of-sale locations and reducing the risk of liabilities in an audit. We believe these deals are just the beginning of more partnerships to come. We are engaged with providers like e-commerce platforms, marketplaces, point-of-sale providers, and payment processors, and they are being accelerated by the generational shift to e-commerce. We have been building towards this watershed moment for years. It reminds me of when we were going after ERP vendors during the early days of the company. We knew we had to win those deals to solidify our position and lock out competitors. We are witnessing the same thing now in a second wave where e-commerce payment processing and compliance converge and we are succeeding and winning head-to-head -head deals. To further expand our moat, software developer engagement is a key focus area for Avalara. Software developers who build integrations that connect solutions and services 
into various business applications represent another essential partner segment for Avalara. That's why we're holding our second annual virtual developer conference called Avalara Net in March, where we bring together developers from all over the world at the forefront of global commerce and tax technology. Also, I want to remind you that we'll be hosting our virtual global crush in May 2022. We will provide more details in the coming weeks. We hope you'll be able to join us at this event. We believe we are building the most robust compliance platform. And 2021 was another milestone year for advancing our vision, both organically and through M&A. I'm pleased by the early contributions from recent acquisitions. Our two largest acquisitions, TTR and business licenses, exceeded our expectations in 2021. We are entering 2022 with the strongest portfolio of products that we've ever had, including more great technology, content, and talented teams that we acquired over the last year. Going forward, we will continue to aggressively pursue and grow our core business in indirect tax through organic investment and M&A. We expect M&A will be an important contributor to our international growth plans. As we've always said, we believe we are a long and strong business, single-digit penetrated in a large addressable market, and a long-term play based on automating a statutorily required function. We're excited that we're approaching a billion dollars in annual revenue run rate and believe we can grow and scale Avalara into a multi-product, multi-billion dollar revenue company over time. Thank you. I will now turn it over to Ross. Thanks, Scott. We were very pleased with our full year 2021 results that exceeded our guidance throughout the year. I was particularly pleased to see our durable compounding growth story continue. We are building a great long-term business and are still very early in our journey. Despite the pandemic, we were able to consistently deliver 29% organic revenue growth in 2020 and 2021, showing no deceleration. This resulted in $699 million in total revenue, or 40% total year-over-year growth, including M&A. We coupled that with our third straight year of positive free cash flow and a new milestone of achieving positive annual non-GAAP operating income. Q4 exceeded our guided metrics and was again driven by balanced execution across the business. Q4 total revenue was $195.1 million, up 35% year-over-year, or up 27% after excluding revenue from acquisitions since Q4 2020. Subscription and returns revenue grew 34% year-over-year to $177.1 million, or up 28% excluding acquisitions, and represented 91% of our total revenue. Professional services revenue was $18 million, up 48% year-over-year. Our core customer count increased by 870 from the previous quarter to approximately 18,270 at the end of Q4 2021, a year-over-year increase of 22%. Our core customer count under our previous definition increased by 830. Our net revenue retention rate was 116%, unchanged compared to 116% last quarter, resulting in a 115% four-quarter average. Our NRR under our previous definition increased to 113%, the second highest result since our IPO, resulting in a 110% four-quarter average. 
Core customer revenue grew 26% year-over-year to $155.4 million in Q4 and grew 28% for the year. Q4 revenue from non-core customers grew 32% year-over-year to $20.2 million, primarily driven by strong growth in EMEA and grew 39% for all of 2021. Q4 revenue from acquisitions made since Q4 20 was $19.5 million and $62.2 million for all of 2021. In discussing the remainder of the income statement, please note that unless otherwise stated, all references to our expenses, operating results, and share count are on a non-GAAP basis and are reconciled to our GAAP results in the earnings press release that was issued just before this call. Gross profit was $142.1 million in Q4, representing a 73% gross margin. This compares with gross profit of $107.7 million and a 74% gross margin in the same period last year. Subscription gross margins were 75%, down from 76% in the same period last year. The year-over-year impact on gross margin was driven by new acquisitions, as well as higher hosting infrastructure costs. Sales and marketing expense was $75 million in Q4, or 38% of total revenue, compared to 37% last year. The increase in sales and marketing is a reflection of our desire to continue investing in our go-to-market motion to take advantage of the large market opportunity. Q4 research and development expense was $38.8 million, or 20% of revenue, down from 21% of revenue in Q4 20, but included a higher benefit from capitalized software in the current quarter versus the prior year. Absent the increased capitalization, Q4 R&D expense will be roughly in line with the year-ago comparable period. Q4 general and administrative expense was $26.6 million, or 14% of revenue, down from 17% of revenue in Q4 20. Q4 operating income was $1.7 million, which was better than our guidance, largely as a result of strong revenue and some expense favorability. Q4 net loss per share was $0.06 in the quarter, based on 87 million shares outstanding. Total deferred revenue at the end of Q4 21 was $283 million, up 35% from $209.7 million at the end of Q4 20, and up 34% year-over-year, excluding acquisitions since Q4 20. Calculated billings is a non-GAAP metric that takes into consideration revenue and the change in deferred revenue, as well as the change in contract liability. Calculated billings was $217.8 million in Q4 21, up 30% year-over-year, and up 25% year-over-year, excluding acquisitions since Q4 20. On an adjusted basis, when we exclude the impact of our large EU marketplace partner, our organic calculated billings was a consistently strong 29%. As a reminder, in Q4, we evolved our contract with this partner, resulting in lower volume-based pricing and a switch from annual to monthly billings over the course of 2022. These changes are intended to improve the customer experience and increase adoption volume. As you know, we don't guide the billings, but as you think about your 2022 billings, please keep in mind that the changes to the agreement may impact our billings growth rate by a few percentage points, while the impact of the new pricing and billings frequency normalizes. We remain excited and believe we are still early in our journey with this important partner and believe there are additional opportunities to expand our relationship by supporting them with a broader range of compliance offerings and across more jurisdictions. Free cash flow was 18 million in the fourth quarter compared to 28.6 million the same quarter last year. 
For 2021, we achieved free cash flow of 12.7 million compared to 34 million for 2020. As we have stated on past calls, our free cash flow will fluctuate from quarter to quarter, caused by many factors, including the timing of working capital, the seasonality and levels of our billings and expenses, as well as our overall level of investment in the business. Our cash and cash equivalents were 1.5 billion at the end of Q4 21, an increase of 840 million from 674 million at the end of Q4 20. Looking now at our fiscal year 2021 results, total revenue of 699 million was up 40% year over year, or 29% after excluding 62.2 million in revenue from acquisitions since Q4 20. Subscription and returns revenue contributed 633.1 million. This represented 91% of our total revenue, and it grew 36% year-over-year, or 29% excluding acquisitions. Professional services and other revenue contributed $65.9 million. Gross profit was $513.7 million for 2021, representing a 73% gross margin. This compares with gross profit of $368.5 million and a 74% gross margin in 2020. We were very pleased to have achieved for the first time, positive operating income of $5.5 million in 2021, which compares with a $3.1 million operating loss in the prior year. I will now conclude the call by providing guidance on revenue and non-GAAP operating loss for Q1 and for the full year 2022. We are excited to be entering 2022 coming off a 31% organic billings and 29% organic revenue growth year. Our thesis and vision have not changed. Avalara is a simple story. In the long run, like other required back office functions such as payroll, we believe every company will automate their tax compliance. We are addressing a large, low-penetrated market where we are a leader in the space with competitive moats and a differentiated business strategy. We are positioned to capture a leader's share of our market opportunity. We believe this position translates into durable, long-term, organic revenue growth of 20 to 25% as we continue to pursue a multi-billion dollar revenue business. In recent years, we have outperformed our long-term growth objectives. We will continue to strive for outperformance as we scale the business. For 2022, there are several growth initiatives where solid execution can help us achieve outperformance, including new customer acquisition velocity, cross-selling new products to our vast customer base, sustaining international growth and expanding into new regions, and closing key second-wave partner opportunities. Taken all together, our growth algorithm gives us confidence that we can deliver another strong year. For the full year 2022, we expect total revenue between 854 and 859 million, which represents a 23% year-over-year growth rate at the midpoint of the range. We expect our full year 2022 non-GAAP operating loss to be in the range of 17 to $21 million. We are proud to have delivered positive free cash flow in each of the last three years and positive operating income in 2021. Our 2022 guidance reflects our view into numerous attractive investment opportunities that support our long-term growth thesis. We expect 2022 professional services revenue to be around 9% of total 2022 revenue. We expect 2022 revenue seasonality to be generally consistent with prior years. We expect 2022 total non-GAAP gross margin to be similar to our 2021 results of 73.5%. This reflects an increase from our ongoing automation efforts, countered by a decrease from recent M&A and new product efforts, 
and work required by some of our exciting new partner relationships that require our solutions to run on another cloud infrastructure. For Q1 2022, we expect total revenue between 197 and 199 million, which represents a 29% year-over-year growth rate at the midpoint of the range. We expect our Q1 non-GAAP operating loss to be in the range of nine to $11 million. Please note that similar to prior years, we expect to have significant Q1 cash outflows for bonus payments, software and insurance renewals, and other large expenses. In closing, we have an exciting opportunity to continue building a durable growth compounding company. We believe we are a leader in a large market that is still early to adopt tax compliance automation technology. We're seeing a demand transformation as businesses become omni-channel, operate in many jurisdictions, and shift their business to e-commerce and the cloud. These changes, coupled with an ever-shifting regulatory environment, make it even more difficult to maintain tax compliance without automation. At the same time, we are continuing to evolve to a platform company, driving an increased supply of products and capabilities, which will deliver even more value to our customers. We also continue to invest to win additional segments and geographies so that we can continue to compound growth for the long term. Please note we will participate in upcoming conferences, including JMP and Morgan Stanley in the first quarter. Thank you for participating in today's call. At this point, we would like to open up the call for your questions. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. Our first question is from Brad Sills with Bank of America Securities. Your line is open. Oh, great. Thanks, guys, for taking my question. And I um, uh, wanted to focus a little bit on, um, you know, reopening. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of discussion around what impact that may or may not have on, on software uh, in the industry. And I'm just curious, what are your expectations as we get into that? I think e-commerce is a focus here. Uh, there, there's, there's a decent amount of underlying uh, transaction volumes that, that drive your business. So maybe even just if you could drill in on e-commerce versus ERP upgrades, how do you expect those two drivers to kind of, um, uh, you know, trend as we get into reopening? Hey, Brad. Um, let me jump in that. Ross can, you know, give some color if, if he wants after I'm done here. But um, Look, I mean, we've always said this about Avalara. I mean, we're a we're we're a good company in good and in 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 bad times, right? I mean, a low beta a low beta a low beta business. And as you know, with the emergence of e-commerce and all that has gone along with that, I mean, we've seen a, a a lot of opportunity come out of that. But we're a we're secondary to it, right? It has to develop you know, uh, it, around the world. It has to develop with our partners, and then we come along behind that. And so it's a long-term growth program for us as we continue to work with those partners to grow. So we see e-commerce as an important part of our business moving forward in 2022 and beyond. It's just, it's, it's not going to, uh, we do not see it as a, a, a decreasing, um, you know, program. As a matter of fact, we see it as one of the, the, the big uh, uh, drivers of our business as, as we move forward. That's great, Scott. Yeah, Thank Brad, you so much. And then, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, like 2020 pandemic hits, and, you know, everyone's worried about software, and it's slowing down, and software did great, and, and we did really well, and, you know, did almost 30% growth that year, and then, you know, uh, you know, e-commerce did well for us. Other things did well. And then 2021, you know, people worry that 
things were going to slow down. Like we were tied to e-com, it was going to slow down with others, and we posted the same growth rate. We did 29% organic both years. So, you know, it's just like a strong position to be in. I think it goes to Scott's point that, you know, we, 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 we're, we're a consistent business that, that can compound growth, good times and bad, and, and, you know, we're at the center of that, those four forces we always talk about, e-com, cloud, ROI, and, 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 you know, regulatory change. And I think those continue to uh, uh, to be there in 2022, and e-com will be good, and, you know, ERP is important, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there for us. That's great to hear. Thanks, Ross. And then one more, if I may, please. You, you mentioned uh, focusing on investment in, in uh, added geogra- geographies and segments. Could you drill into a little bit there, just a little bit more detail as to, um, you know, which geos and what are some of the segments that you're focusing on this year as, as far as investment? Thanks so much. Yeah, Brad. Um, look, I mean, I mean, we've talked about this uh, pretty consistently. I mean, you know, we we see you know we're single digit penetrated in this huge SMB market. So I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about this year is to continue to focus in on that. But having but having said that, I mean, there is opportunity for us as we intentionally move upstream into the enterprise world. I mean, that's you know that's something that we're going to continue to do. And I I think you saw that a little bit or heard that a little bit in in the uh, my, my comments about the, the the deals we're winning. Likewise. I mean, you know, our DNA is in partners. I mean, we're, that's something that we just, you know, we thrive on. And the SMB world is, 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 is ripe for that, right? And we talked a little bit about that in my, you know, my earnings script. Um, but uh, I, so I see those two as just sort of, that's what we always do. Now, moving beyond that internationally, you know, we see huge opportunity in, in, not, in growing what we do in EMEA. You know, we've really had a good go of it in, in UK and some of the other companies, uh, countries, but we can expand that even more to more of the, uh, the, the countries in EMEA. And then, you know, uh, we have a, a big presence in India, and we're going to continue to continue to use that presence to grow our, our, our sales business there. Um, and, and Brazil has been a great uh, uh, place for us to, you know, be a beachhead for us in LATAM. So what I think you'll see us internationally is to continue to focus on the things I just talked about, but we'll start to do um, exploratory work in putting, you know, our BD and, and, and product management people in country in some of the other countries in Asia and LATAM so we can start to build that out. Because, I mean, developing these markets, it's not a, a single-year journey. It's a multi-multi-year journey. And, and, and we want to start that, uh, albeit small, but growing, you know, outside of the areas that we're in today. That's exciting. Thanks, Scott. Our next question is from Gabriela Borges with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hi, this is Kevin Kumar on for Gabriela. Thanks for taking my question. Um, curious on the enterprise go-to-market, as you invest more sales resources there, How's the surround strategy? So, sorry, how's the surround strategy impacting the types of conversations you're having with customers? And are, are you starting to see a broadening of the use cases within enterprise? Thanks. Uh, good, 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 good questions. Um, so, like I said, um, you know, we've been more intentional than we've ever been in, an, in, in our enterprise space. And, you know, that comes with, 
you know, growing out our, our products, growing out our, 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 feet, our feature sets, as well as building out the sales force. But I have to say our sales force is probably the most mature aspect of what we're doing in enterprise today. I mean, you know, when we talk about enterprise, you know, you have to be careful because there's the Fortune 1000, and then there are all the companies that just that need, you know, compliance that can spend a lot of money, uh, a lot of money. You know, some of those you heard today, you know, three, you know, 300, 350,000, and those are not household names. So, you know, our team is pretty adept at selling those. We're, we're growing out our, our, our product. But what I think one of the biggest areas that we continue to grow is build out our, our, our team uh, of specialists and getting a better understanding, you know, around how you uh, sell with, your, with, the, with the sales engineer in motion and how you work with the big customers and, and the big partners that are out there. And, and that's a long-term journey for us, and we continue to grow on it. And I, I think it, as evidence about, you know, as, as the uh, uh, script said in some of our use cases, case wins that we had, I think we're expanding in all areas. I mean, you could just see it. All industries, all geographies, you know, from an omni-channel perspective is where we really shine. And, and I think it's highlighted by, you know, the, the, the customers that we talked about today. So I expect to see more of that. I expect us to get better at doing that over the years to come. Um, so I'm really excited about where we are and how we can grow enterprise. Great. And, and then uh, regarding the 2022 operating guide, um, co coming in, I think, is slightly negative. How should we think about investment priorities between product and go-to-market this year? And just the general cadence of hiring throughout the year. Thank you. Ross, why don't you jump in on that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think where we're focused our investments uh, is a lot in sales and marketing. So I think as we talked about last quarter, you know, you'll see uh, a little bit of a deleveraging in sales and marketing as a percent of revenue uh, as we focus on some of these opportunities we've highlighted. We've got you know, a huge opportunity with some of these partners, who so we're calling the second wave of partners, new partners and expansion of existing partners. And so we are expanding our investments around those teams and functions. Uh, we've got, you know, a lot of opportunity uh, to expand in international new countries and geos. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be expanding investments there. And then, um, uh, you know, cross-sell, upsell, and, and just uh, getting the, you know, organization aligned, the teams aligned, and the investments required uh, to hit that opportunity. We've got, you know, a tremendous amount of new products and a great opportunity. We have over 100,000 end customers. We hit that milestone last year, total end customers. It's a lot of opportunity to sell more products to these customers, and so we're investing in that. So you'll see that in the sales and marketing line. Uh, R&D is a percent of revenue. It should stay somewhere similar as last year. We're going to continue to, you know, invest at the same level, but, that's, you know, that's a high-level investment uh, as we continue to build out the platform. Uh, gives us opportunities for future growth. Um, uh, you know, we always think that it allows us to, to, to really build something special in the global compliance platform and start to pull away from the competition. So we like that a lot. And, and, and those, are, those are the two, two main areas, with sales and marketing being the key one that will increase year over year. You know, I'll, um, I'll, I'll just uh, uh, follow on with, with, what, with what Ross said, because I think it's, it really worth, it's really worth mentioning. I mean, this is a huge market with just enormous opportunities. And the things that we focus on uh, is, you know, is being as focused as we possibly can 
in this world where there is so much opportunity. And, and so when Ross talks about, you know, multi-products and cross-sell, big opportunity for us. Get, you know, immensely excited about that. But I can't, I mean, I, I just can't emphasize enough how exciting it is when you see the second wave of partners, right? I mean, like I said, partnerships are in our DNA. It's who we are. It's how we shine. And, and the, the world economy and all that's happening is really driving a lot of business opportunity around that. I just feel like it was back in the day. And, you know, it's an exciting opportunity. And then you have international to focus on, you know, and then we, and, and this doesn't get said enough, but I think a lot of our investment is around, you know, how we wow our customers and our partners and, and how we, you know, uh, build out our people and culture. So you've got all those exciting opportunities, but there's just reality around, you know, you got to take care of your customers, your partners, your people, and all of those constituents. And so uh, it's an exciting year for us, and I think there's lots of, you know, opportunity to do some great things. Appreciate the call. Thanks. Our next question is from Brent Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Brent Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. We'll move on to the next question, which is from Matt Stodler with William Blair. Your line is open. Uh, yeah, hey, thanks for taking the questions. Um, you know, I guess first, uh, you know, we'd love to, to maybe get an update on, you know, when, when thinking through some of the, you know, TAM uh, expansion opportunities here. Obviously, you've made some recent acquisitions uh, that get you more, you know, expand out of the initial indirect tax landscape into more direct taxes and other types of taxes. Uh, any any updates on how you're thinking about how those opportunities expand your functional TAM and any early traction or thoughts on how that progresses going forward? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, at, at, the, at the highest level, at the highest level, you know, I always talk about this, right? You know, the four horsemen of tax. You know, those are the things that, you know, that everybody has to do. You know, it's sales tax, use tax, you've got exemptions, and you've, and you've got returns. I mean, that is what, what Avalara has been based on. You know, that's where the majority of our, our, our revenue is today. But um, as, we've ta- as, you, as you talk, I mean, we've, we've uh, um, really started to expand outside of those four things into transactional tax, in, indirect taxes, um, uh, as well, you know, that, you know, doing cross-border, doing um, uh, a, a whole host of things like business licenses, and, and then just, you know, research, uh, TTR research. And so, you know, like I said, I mean, we really want to focus and bring focus to making sure that we are expanding those areas as much as we possibly can. Um, we've explored beyond those areas and, and early innings in going outside of indirect tax. And those have huge, you know, TAM, uh, uh, TAM uh, implications. I mean, we know that those are big. We know that those are areas that we're going to continue to grow. But as I said on with one of the other earlier calls, I, I want everybody to, you know, to, to know that we are really focused on that indirect area. Because, I mean, there's just so much opportunity there. When I look at, you know, beyond indirect tax, I look at that as future-proofing the business. You know, we can take care of the business and grow the business with indirect, 
and future proofing the business with, with, uh, with other, you know, compliance opportunities. And we're going to be proving out that thesis, you know, in, in this year and the, in the, in the years going forward. But I expect them to be big contributors, but not just immediately. So we're going we're gonna to grow them like we do all the other ones. We'll, we'll continue to, you know, to push that. But I want to make sure that we're really focused on, you know, what we do really well and with the opportunity in front of us um, in indirect tax. Right, got it, that's helpful. Uh, and then maybe just, just one more, um, you know, looking at the uh, enterprise investments and specific to go to market, uh, obviously you have this, this you know, great, um, you know, kind of partner-driven motion um, that works very well in the, the SMB segment, the mid-market segment's been, been, you know, getting you guys into the enterprise as well. But you've also talked about kind of building out uh, more white glove services for those customers. They tend to like that, you know, higher touch uh, in some cases. Any update on, on how you're thinking about, you know, building out those kind of white glove resources and that, um, you know, I guess, more intense, uh, you know, services model up market? Sure. Um, like, I, like I said, I mean, I think from a sales perspective, I think we're, you know, pr pretty well, you know, set and we're going to continue to grow that and that will evolve over time. Um, when it comes to the white glove services, you know, I mean, that's where I think that, that, that build out of the team that I was talking about, you know, your tax technologists, the people that are there, both involved in the selling process, but also in the support implementation process. But I want to point out that, that we are a partner-driven base, uh, a, a partner-driven company, and, you know, moving into the enterprise space, we want to do that in conjunction with partners. It's not something that we want to do on our own. Um, you know, we believe in the partner model, and, and we want to utilize, you know, partners in, in doing that, in joining us in that white glove service. So it'll be, you know, us, we may take the lead, but, the, uh, but our partners will be right there next to us in providing that. And that's a motion that, you know, we want to continue to, you know, learn and grow and, and develop. And, and that will happen over the coming years. Got it. Understood. That's helpful. Thanks again. Our next question is from Siti Panagrahi with Mizuho. Your line is open. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, so you, you talked about the second wave of partnership deals. Uh, so, Scott, help us understand how long it takes usually when you do this kind of investment uh, with partners. Uh, when do they start contributing to re revenue? You know, um, they, so uh, they, they take a while to develop. And, and you started to see it, you know, I mean, uh, you started to see it with, with Shopify. And, 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 I'll, and I'll just talk about that in general. I mean, I mean that was a, a, a company that we, you know, that came out of our emerging group, if you can imagine, right? It was, I mean, hardly anybody had heard about it. We had, you know, we started developing it with them. We started, you know, going to market with them. You know, and that's been a, you know, six-plus-year journey. Um, but then they start to hit their stride. We start to hit our stride with them, and we continue to – we grow. But then once you, once you get that, then you get second opportunities and third opportunities and fourth opportunities. And what I mean by that is, is that you, uh, you, you, you get a cross-border opportunity that, you know, that we announced last, last quarter. And, and that starts to bring, you know, more and more, more and more revenue. Then you start to expand it even further, you know, to get a larger portion of their business, 
you know, and then that continues to expand it even more. They feel comfortable with it. You get a little bit more integrated in with their solution. And then finally, you've really got something that's, you know, that's, that's developing. And we see that with almost every one of our partners. I mean, whether it be in the beginning with the Sages and the Epicores and the Microsofts, or, you know, now with, you know, e-commerce, payment processors, POS, and the, and, and the like. So, yeah, you, you'll, you will always get a bump from them early on. But what you hope is, is that that bump continues to grow and, and expand beyond that. And then it's real, and then it's a really significant, uh, partner. Um, that's, that's how we see these developing. Our next question is from Brad Reback with Stiefel. Your line is open. Uh, great. Thanks very much. Ross, I think last quarter, uh, as you talked about the sort of evolving relationship with your European uh, e-marketplace customer, that they had stopped sending volume of uh, sellers to you for a period of time. Now that you've renegotiated that deal, have those volumes picked back up, and are, are they running at where they were pre-renegotiation? Thanks. Yeah, hey, Brad. Thanks for the question. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not going to get in the habit of talking about the volumes every quarter, you know, for one partner that's, you know, less than 4% of revenue. But, you know, some, some co we, we did work through the contract change, and just a reminder to people, it's meant to drive adoption. And, and, and uh, at the end of the day, we're aligned on the same cause, which is that there's statutory requirements to be compliant with that for all these marketplace sellers, the merchants. And we and, and the partner want to get everybody compliant, and we want to get as many as we can on our platform. And so to do that, you know, there's uh, the customer experience element, uh, there's the pricing element, and then there's the, you know, the billing business model element. And so we made some adjustments to go, you know, from annual to monthly billing. We think that that will help with the experience. It's what the customers want. Um, you know, they hit a new volume tier, so, so that, that brings the pricing down. Um, and so all of that is playing out as we discussed last quarter, um, and I think as we, as we talked about, um, it'll have some impact on revenue. That's reflected in our guidance, and we said it'll have a few points uh, uh, impact on billings growth because billings gets impacted by pricing and by the duration change. And obviously, the duration change doesn't impact MRR or the economics. It's just a duration change. So overall, Brad, like what I would say is, you know, this is a really important partner. We have a lot of opportunity with this partner within the business that we're doing already, and then there are other opportunities outside of that business. And, you know, we think there's, you know, a long, you know, runway to do a lot more with this partner over the years and continue to grow that business. And the last thing I would say is we're not depending on them. You know, it's, it was $27 million of revenue last year. It's less than 4% of our total revenue. We're not dependent on them. Uh, and, you know, we've got over 1,200 signed partners. Uh, we're diversifying in the EU. So it's, it's good business, and, you know, we'll work through this. Um, it's not that huge, uh, you know, an issue, and, um, and, and we're excited about all the opportunities we have with this partner, with other partners in, in the international realm over time. Our next question is from Stan Zlotsky with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hi guys, you have Ben Mazzotti on for uh, Stan. Uh, congratulations on a strong quarter um, and pipeline for the upcoming year. Um, just could you talk about what the revenue and billings growth is, uh, excluding their European uh, marketplace business? 
Um, so so on, on the billings, billings growth, excluding at, uh, uh, the, the, the partnering Q3 and Q4, we're both 29%. Uh, we didn't we, we talk, uh, for revenue it's pretty close to the same so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about revenue but for billings 29% uh, in each of Q3 Q4 organic excluding the impact of the partner. Got it. Um, and then one more follow-up question. Um, yep. Can you just provide us with an update on your relationship with the Big Four and any possible pipeline um, that build up that partnership is introducing in the near term that so you know i alluded that in some of the other conversations here i mean that's one of the journeys that we have to you know uh, go forth with uh um the uh, uh the enterprise space i mean you know we've we have a nice relationship with them uh you know it hasn't been our you know number one area enterprise so you know we've got some ground and some some work to uh uh to do with them to you know you know get up to the, the their full potential but we see them in many deals right we see that I mean you know we're we're with that with them with many deals you know uh and and i think one of the other questions was is our surround strategy you know it does work right because you know we see the big four and you know uh, eat, uh exemption certificate customers you know uh the 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 big customers in in excise fuel um you know most of our strategic products many you know many of the deals so i mean i i would say we're doing well with them the, the pipeline is building uh we we see a good relationship with them but you know frankly i mean that's an area that we want to continue to grow and get better at as as we develop that enterprise space um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with where we are, but there's always room for improvement. Our next question is from Brent Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Great. Can, can you hear me? Sure. Hello. Hi, Brent. Oh, good. Hey, Brent. Hi. Sorry. Just making sure you can hear me there. Um, uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for the, the question here. I'm going to ask one question, and I'll direct it towards Ross. I think it's interesting, uh, a year and a half, two years ago, the Wall Street narrative was, well, how much can commerce and e-com be a big driver for, 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 for Avrilara? Conversely, now people are a little worried about uh, exposure to e-com. So, Ross, could you just maybe put a finer point around what is Avalara's exposure to, to e-commerce today as we think about some, some tougher compares in the first half of the year there and how we should think about um, the the Avalara kind of exposure to, to higher or lower volumes, given part of the business is, is volume dependent, part of it is more subscription dependent. Thanks. Yeah, I mean it's a great it's a great question, Brent, and and I just think we're a lot more insulated from the ups and downs of the you know GMB pure e-commerce models that a lot of people watch. And you know it's funny, and we've talked about this. You go back in 2020. Um, Everybody was like, "Oh, you know, you're you're not going to do well because of the pandemic." And then we did well, software did well, and it was like, "Oh, you benefited from e-commerce." And then in 2021, everyone was was really concerned that we and others were going to slow down as a result of e-commerce starting to slow down in 2021. 
And, you know, again, I just highlight something we're really, really proud of. You know, we did 31% organic billings for the year last year, and we did 29% organic revenue growth last year, which was the same as the prior year. So 2020, 2021, we did 29% organic revenue growth. You know, very, very consistent, no deceleration in a year where everyone was worried that, you know, did you pull forward demand? Is it going to slow down? What's your exposure to e-commerce? And as I look forward into 2022 and beyond, you know, e-commerce is one of these great drivers of our, it's one of these four forces along with cloud and along with ROI and along with regulatory that propels our business. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a generational shift. It's, for us, it's not about, you know, you became an e-commerce company and how much GMV you're coming in. It's about you became an e-commerce company, you may have some stores, uh, you're on some marketplaces, you're selling in multiple channels, omni-channel. And so, therefore, where you used to be able to manage your tax complexity because you were a lot more simple. You know, old days you were simple. You had a store, you had a single site, fewer products, whatever, selling to few jurisdictions. You could probably handle that. But, you know, now you're an e-commerce provider. You've got some stores. You've got, you got multiple marketplaces. You're selling in many jurisdictions in the U.S., maybe beyond the U.S. globally. And you've got to be compliant with that. I mean, you know, saying, saying, accepting status quo and doing that manually is very, very difficult to do. That's what's driving our business. And everyone that's become an e-commerce company, that acceleration of the last couple of years, most of those are still out there. They're getting calc in their, on their e-commerce engine, probably from us, but they haven't solved the rest of compliance. They haven't solved returns. They haven't solved exemptions. They may not be doing cross-border customs and duty. They may not be doing use tax. And that's our that's licensing. Like all these products we have, we got to go after them and sell them more products. So think about us as you always have, Brent, consistent, long, strong business. Our next question is from Pat Walravens with JMP Securities. Your line is open. Thank you so much. This is Joey Mernsick on for Pat. I just want to touch on the hiring environment and sort of back to those sales and marketing investments. Um, you know, how are you thinking about your ability to recruit and retain talent? And then how do you think about the type of talent you, you know, you're looking for um, as you continue to scale? Thank you guys. Hey, Pat. Um, well, I, I mean, just as in a general note, right. Um, you, you know, sort of, I mean, I, I see a sort of, struggling with the same things that everybody else in the pack is struggling with, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, it, this isn't rocket science. I mean, it's, it's harder to hire people. It's, uh, you know, you have to figure, we're having to pay them more. Um, you know, re return to the office is, a, is, is an issue, all of those things. But, you know, what I'm really proud of, but from an Avalara perspective is, I mean, we have not seen a, a change in, you know, the, our retention rate. Um, you know, I think our engagement with our employees is, 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 is the same as it has been, you know, prior to the pandemic and, and maybe even better a, a, a little bit. And so, you know, finding people, I mean, is, 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 uh, I mean, something that we've been really, really competitive at. I mean, we've added 1,500, you know, people last year. Um, I mean, we're pretty, we've been pretty good at doing that, um, you know, in a lot of different areas. Uh, and I don't, and, and, and we have not seen the, the same kind of challenge in some of the areas, and sales and marketing is one of those, 
as we have in you know hiring developers, which I'm sure everybody talks about because it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult thing, and a lot of our hiring is happening in the U.S. and outside of that because we're a global company on four different continents. So I mean I don't think I have anything you know I mean you know out of the out of the usual to to report you know um, I mean we're we're doing really really well. We continue to grow our our, our team um, you know sort of uh, uh, in, 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 a, in a large and aggressive way. Um, developers are always difficult, but, uh, I mean, we've been able to find our way to keep people and to, uh, um, you know, add the people that we need to, to grow the business. Our next question is from Sterling Ati with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, guys. This is Rachetan for Sterling. Can you please provide details around Epic's impact on the portal? What was that details on the what? I missed it. FX impact. Oh, FX. Yeah, you know, yeah. we haven't, we've never called out an FX impact. Um, it, it hasn't been meaningful enough for us. I know you're seeing it with a lot of other companies. International is about, you know, 8% of revenue now, so we're starting to look at it more. But I, I wouldn't say it's a meaningful thing uh, to, to disclose at this point in time. Our next question is from Peter Levine with Evercore. Your line is open. Right, thanks, guys, for squeezing me in. Maybe just one for Scott, uh, more high level. But um, your prepared remarks, you kind of sounded excited about your partner channels, but maybe looking at the compliance side of the business, like what gets you excited about the compliance roadmap? Is it about integrated workflows with tax, AI automation, new product development, kind of that differentiates Evalera? But just curious to know kind of what, what you're excited about on the compliance side. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 I, what I'm really – they sort of go hand in hand in, in, in this sense. I mean, what I'm really excited about is we have been on an aggressive program to build out what I think to be, you know, today, even in direct tax, and as we, I talked earlier, I mean, moving out of indirect tax and, and dipping our toe into direct tax, this, this broad end-to-end, -end, you know, solution that helps customers with their compliance product. I mean, it, it, I mean I, it, this has been one of my dreams is, is to build out, you know, this whole suite of services so you're helping customers where they need the help throughout that process. You are their partner in going forward with their, with their, with their business. And, and, and I just think the team has done a magnificent job of, you know, sort of pulling our platform vision, pulling our platform together, you know, you're going to start to see some, some you know, really nice, uh, you know, developments around our user uh, experience, around how this is all tied together. I think you'll see efficiencies at the back end of, of, of how we're tying all of this together that are really going to, going to be good. And why I say that they're tied together with partners, because this is what partners are seeing. I mean, this is what gives us our competitive advantage. I mean, we've always been really good at finding the next thing in compliance. And whether it be right in the early days, it was adding, you know, sort of end-to-end, -end, you know, calculation and returns or doing address validation, you know, to make the, the calculations and compliance, you know, e you know, even better. And then you add cross-border, which, you know, is just, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that, it should be done, you know, right at the time of right at the time of checkout. So 
So it's the combining of all of these things that, that makes our, our moat so strong and, 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 and helps our customers so well. So it's that combination of how it all fits together. I mean, that's what really gets me fired up. That's what gets me, you know, into the office every day. And that is the journey that you have to do to be part of every transaction in the world. And, and, and when you do it both domestically and internationally, I mean, it's, it's, it's really compelling. And, uh, you know, uh, it gets me and, you know, about 5,000 other people fired up every single day. Our next question is from David Hines with Canaccord. Your line is open. Hey, this is Luke on for DJ. Uh, thanks for taking the question. So SST, I think, was a 300 or so basis point headwind to growth this year, if I'm remembering correctly, due to that compensation formula change. First, should we expect any headwind in calendar 22 as you lap that change that I believe took effect at the beginning of February? And then second, how should we think about its impact on your net dollar retention as you lap that headwind? Uh, is there upward bias there? Hey, thanks, Luke. Um, I think you nailed it. Uh, it it, it um, ends in January. So January will be the last month where we, starting February, we lap the, um, uh, the compensation formula change. Uh, so that pricing change headwind that we saw, you know, last year, you know, we're over with ending in January. You should think about, um, people ask, like, how do you think about SST growing, like, in 2022? And, I, and, and our, our view is think about our returns platform. It's our second largest product. Customers in the U.S. have, uh, they have Nexus in certain states. Some of them are SST states. Some of them are not, but they're buying our returns products. Some of them need more SST. Some of them need less. It should grow, you know, somewhere in line with our, our 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 returns, you know, product sales. So that that normalizes now, which is which is um, which is great. And then on NRR, you know, we've been we've been showing the the revised metric, and that revised metric uh, includes SST and excludes professional services. And the legacy metric we're also still reporting, which was the second highest since uh, since IPO, that one excludes SST. And so what you see is the legacy metric that excludes SST has been rising pretty consistently, and the new metric has been flat. Not in a bad way. It's been 116%. It's really strong, but it's been flat. Um, and that's because the new one includes SST, so it's getting the hit from the SST pricing impact. The old one does not, so you're seeing it go up because it's reflecting the rest of the business and not the SST impact. Uh, I expect in 2022 those will move in the same direction, Okay. So you should just think NRR long-term, our ambition internally here is we've got a lot of products, we've got a lot of customers, we have a huge opportunity to keep selling, you know, uh, uh, more, more products to our customer base. I think that supports our high NRR rates, and, you know, we've said over time we would love to, we would love to push those even higher. Our next question is from Alex Sklar with Raymond James. Your line is open. Hi, uh, thanks for taking the question. This is John on for Alex. Just one from us. I know you've spoken about it quite a bit today, but as you look at the international opportunity, how do you think about Avalara Direct versus Marketplace and other partnerships contributing to your international growth over the next few years? I mean, I, we, we, as you said, we have talked about it a little bit, but I just, you know, I, I, I love saying it, so I'll just say it again. 
I mean, our DNA, our focus is in, is in partnerships. I mean, you know, we have a rinse and repeat model that we really, you know, believe in in the United States, and we've carried it, you know, uh, into our international uh, market. Um, partnerships is, is, is key to how we believe, you know, the growth is going, going to happen. I mean, let's just, just call it the way it is, right? I mean, you can't – we have to be in this space. You have to have partnerships with the people who create the invoices. I mean that's just a given, um, and so when we when we talk about international, you know it, it's the, it's the same motion. You know we want to go to to market with 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 all sorts of different partners. Um, you know whether they be marketplaces, e-commerce, ERP, POS, and 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 we're just going to continue to you know execute that that you know model that we have. Our next question is from Andrew Degasperi with Berenberg. Your line is open. Thanks uh, for taking my question. Um, I just had one for Ross, um, particularly when it comes – I know you talked a lot about the uh, marketplace partner and the change in, on the rate card and duration of the contracts. I was just wondering, is, is this fully reflected in the Q1 guide? And then um, is that impact uh, linear as far as the year is concerned? And then – Lastly, um, how do I compare the Q1 growth guidance of 29% or high 20% relative to the full-year growth? Is that just a, uh, a function of conservatism on your part, or is there something else at play? Yeah, I mean, the marketplace is reflected in, in the guide, yes. And, you know, we don't guide two billings, as you know, but, you know, we gave some color around – we think it's a few percentage points. Billings, remember, gets hit a little bit worse than revenue because you got the billings frequency duration change. So, you know, just as you guys think about your models and how you're going to do billings, just keep in mind that, you know, there's there, there's a there's a few points impact from uh, that, that partner situation. On revenue, it's, re, it's reflected. And then, you know, I think, I think your second part of your question, you know, is around – Q1 versus the rest of the year, and if that's correct, um, you know, I think our guidance philosophy has been consistent for years now, and it always starts with the point that, you know, think about us as a, as, as a growth compounder um, where we can grow revenue organically 20 25% for a long time, you know, build a multi-billion dollar business. We're in a large market. It's early days, low penetration, leader in the space all that good stuff that gives us, you know, confidence that we can consistently compound growth for a long time. And that's the starting point, you know, for the guidance for the year. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, in the last few years, you've outperformed that, you know, pretty meaningfully in the 30s, you know, plus, you know, how do you kind of think about that? And it's like any given year, we're going to obviously work hard to exceed. Um, it's not a guarantee. It's not a given. I think as we head into this year, we have some really exciting opportunities that Scott talked about, and the, you know the ones that really, that really are there is just like that cross-sell opportunity of, of all these products to the base. You know, 100,000 end customers, 18,000 core customers, um, all these partnerships, the second wave concept Scott talked about, new new partners and expansion of existing ones. Uh, you know, international. You know, the direct piece is has been largely UK, so expanding throughout Europe and other areas of the globe. You know, just really, really early opportunity there. Um, you know, those are those are the three biggest highlights, and so you know, I just think we need to execute on those, and, and we feel good about the opportunities ahead and our ability to deliver, you know, a strong year. 
Our final question is from Daniel Jester with BMO. Your line is open. Great. Thank you for squeezing me in. Just two quick ones for me. Um, when you're talking about the business wins uh, earlier in the, the call, uh, cross-border came up a couple times. You know, we've heard that, you know, some of the supply chain challenges globally have really disproportionately hit small business and mid-sized business. So I'm wondering if you can, if that's being reflected in the growth and demand of that product, are you able to kind of grow through that? And then secondly, Ross, can you just comment, is there any inorganic revenue contribution in the guide? Thanks. Well, I mean, uh, I'll start on the cross-border, and, and then I'm going to turn it over to Ross for he can give color to it because Ross actually runs the cross-border business for us, and, and then he can finish up uh, with, the, with, your, with your second question. But, you know, look at cross-border, uh, I think, is a, is, a, is a very meaningful part of, you know, of, of the Avalara growth story in, in, in years to come. So... Um, I would say that, that we do not see that impact that you were referring to, I mean, in our business. But it's early days, and we're growing that business, you know, you know, quite, you know quite substantially. And I think it will continue to do that. So, you know, from, from just from a growth perspective, um, we're not seeing that, that, that supply chain, you know, hitch uh, hit our business. Yeah, and the, the, that business is doing really well. And, 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 like, the thing is, it goes back to the earlier question around, like, e-commerce models and GMV. Like, if you're shipping cross borders, like, you have to be complying with duties and tariffs and import taxes and all that, period, right? Like, you know, whether you're doing one thing or, or a billion things that you're shipping. So while your GMV may go up and down from supply chain, you're either compliant or you're not compliant. There's, like, you're not supposed to be semi-compliant. So... That's the good thing about our business is, like, you know, you, you got to do it. And, and so that business keeps going even if there's, you know, issues. And sometimes when there's issues, it's good for us because it, it, it heightens awareness. Um, so I, I think that's, that's going fine. And then on the second question, is there inorganic in the guide, the guide does incorporate, you know, all acquisitions, including acquisitions we did in 2021. Uh, you know, we said last year that we wouldn't break out, or we've been breaking out organic, inorganic. We always want to be transparent to the extent that these are material. They'll be in our filings. Um, but the gap between organic and inorganic isn't like 10 points like it was last year. It's, you know, small and, 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 and you know, not, not material in our view. So that's why we're not showing it. If, it. if it grows to be more material, it'll be in our filings, and we may talk about it but we don't think there's a need to now. And so the way I think about it is you got a little, a tiny bit of inorganic there on the positive side. you got this EU marketplace situation on the negative side. There's probably about balance out, and therefore what we're reporting is, we think, pretty reflective of, of, of the actual performance of the business. That will conclude our question and answer session. I'll turn the call back over to co-founder and chief executive officer, Scott McFarland, for any closing remarks. Everybody, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our employees, our great customers and partners for their hard work and support. And we look forward to talking to you and seeing everybody as soon as we possibly can. And uh, thank you all so very much for, for, for being on the call. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.